Previously on Target USA. If we take 2001 as the starting point of the war on terror, well, we have more terror, so the war obviously has been a fiasco. A Russian scholar publicly excoriates the U.S.'s war on terror, claiming the U.S. military has overstepped its bounds. The attacks are done by Americans and without sometimes consulting with the local governments like it just happened in Yemen. But a prominent American in the audience fired right back. I thought his remarks were so far over the top that uh, they really deserved a response. They shouldn't go unanswered. And a well-known and respected U.S. scholar did just that. He blamed everything on the United States falsely, and he blamed nothing on Russia. It happened at a security conference in North Africa. And coming up in this episode, it didn't end there. And the situation appears to have gotten personal. David Pollack had something unnerving happen to him after he returned to the U.S., and he knows the two were connected. This was a kind of harassment by some Russian organization that responding to my comments at the conference. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by TrueCar. In order to feel confident that you're getting a fair price, you need pricing context, information that empowers you to feel confident. With TrueCar, you'll see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want. From there, you can connect with a local TrueCar certified dealer and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. TrueCar users save an average of more than $3,000 off MSRP and once you register, you will see real pricing on actual inventory. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by a True Car certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership, so you can feel confident when you show up. That's why more than 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users by the True Car certified dealer network. There are more than 13,000 True Car certified dealers nationwide. So, when you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. In our previous episode, we highlighted a scenario that took place in North Africa several weeks ago. A Russian scholar, Sergei Kostelyanets, with the Russian Academy of Sciences, stood up during an open forum and very harshly criticized U.S. efforts in Africa in the war on terror. American David Pollack a scholar at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy got up and retaliated. But what happened when he returned home is nothing short of disturbing. 
Pollock invited Target USA to his office to tell us the story. Well, first, before I get to that, and this will just take a moment, I want to say something about what happened at the conference itself after I made my remarks. So one thing that's important to point out is that the moderator of my panel, after I made those remarks, and her name is Ms. Rahma Duala. She's from Somalia and works for the EU Commission um, in Nairobi, dealing with jihadi uh, issues in East Africa, a lovely woman. She, as the moderator of the panel, decided to give the Russian a chance to respond to my response. And he did. And actually, he backtracked, I would say. He said, in short, that he didn't mean to blame only the United States. He was also blaming the West as a whole. <laughs> I'm not sure you'd call that backtracking, but anyway, he clarified that point. Uh, and but he didn't. But he didn't. But he didn't necessarily say that Russia was to blame for anything. Absolutely not. No. No. Definitely not. But what he did say, second point, he said. And he was willing to go so far as to acknowledge that Russian-American cooperation in the fight against jihadi terrorism would be a good thing. He had nothing against that. So then why do you suppose all of this happened? Was he, was he told to do this? I don't, that, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I understand that there were some other Russians in attendance, although not speakers, and it may be that uh, he, uh, given my response, that somebody advised him, or maybe he himself realized that he had gone a little bit too far, mm -hmm. and it would be better to appear to be more reasonable. Well, especially in the, this day and age, considering U.S.-Russian relations aren't right. that great, maybe, maybe, right. maybe you did. And this speaks sort of more to what we were just about to get into, is what happened to you once you returned to the U.S. Okay. Tell so, us about it. So what happened to me... When I got back, uh, was something very weird and completely unexpected. And that was that for almost an entire working day, uh, on, and I, I have a record of this on my telephone, um, I started early in the morning, probably about seven o'clock in the morning, and for many hours thereafter, I started getting what I gather were robocalls from Russia in Russian. Uh, with messages sometimes, and sometimes they just hung up, and sometimes it was just noise, uh, as far as I could tell. And sometimes they left a voicemail, and sometimes they didn't. And um, I know it was Russian. I have a record of the numbers that were calling. There were at least two different numbers. I couldn't, they were coming in so fast that I couldn't block them or delete them until many hours went by. And I interpreted this, although I can't prove it, uh, but several people that I talked to uh, who are pretty knowledgeable about these things um, seconded my, my judgment that this was uh, kind of minor harassment by, or trolling, whatever you want to call it, by some Russian organization that mm. responding to my comments at the conference. So let me get this straight. You believe that there is a definite connection between the robocalls you got right. and your decision to stand up at the conference right. and contest Mr. Sergei Kostelyanitz 
derogatory remarks about the U.S. involvement in the war on terror. You believe because you stood up and you addressed him uh, and later... He backtracked on his remarks, and then you get back home and start getting robocalls. You believe all of this is connected? Yes, I do. Uh, And one of the reasons I believe it's connected is that uh, this number that they were calling with these robocalls um, is uh, on my business card. So it's not, it would have been very easy uh, for anybody at the conference to uh, get a hold of that. And pass it on. And number two, uh, we know, of course, that (laughs) lately, especially, Russian organizations, probably with support and direction from the Russian government, are engaged in this sort of behavior, trolling, hacking, uh, harassment. What do you you believe they got from this, out of this little operation? Uh, Well, uh, not much, except maybe just uh, the satisfaction of, of you know annoying somebody uh, that they didn't like too much. Um, maybe they think that they can silence or intimidate or somehow kind of um, affect my public statements uh, based on my best professional judgment, but I think they should know me better than that and know that they can't do that. And Maybe they just wanted to get into my phone and uh, see what they could find. Last thing, what are you going to do about this? I'm not really sure. Um, I Some people that I mentioned it to suggested that I should uh, get a new phone and a new phone number. Uh, other people said I should just let it go because it's very low level and and it hasn't happened again, uh, to my knowledge, at least. Anything you want to add? Yes, thanks. Uh, first of all, thanks for doing the story, but also uh, I'll take this opportunity to say that after I made my remarks at the conference, I was quietly congratulated for that by a, a number of EU, European Union officials who were at the conference, but a little bit more surprising also by a number of Arab and African experts and officials who were at the conference, including, I remember specifically, uh, some uh, quite impressive uh, participants from Chad and from the Sudan and uh, from the European Council and uh, several others, and and also by uh, some Americans, not too surprisingly, um, at the conference as well. So altogether, despite the apparent harassment by some Russian folks, uh, I am pleased with how this worked out, and I would do it again in a minute. It's not clear how David Pollack's situation compares to others that have been harassed by Russian trolls and organizations that are linked to the Russian government. But what is clear, it's not just limited to that. They've got a much more widespread operation underway. And we spoke with David Kilcullen, an Australian author and counterinsurgency expert about it. Kilcullen laid out an example of just how sophisticated the Russian machine is. And he used the example of their manipulation of the migration flow triggered by the recent migration crisis. Um, In an area called um, Kirkenes, which is 200 miles north of the Arctic Circle, a very long way from where any refugees are actually coming from. 
in a space of about six weeks in the summer of 2015. 5,000 refugees crossed the border from Russia into Norway, mostly Syrian refugees, on bicycles. And the, um, the border treaty between Russia and Norway says that it's illegal to cross the border on foot. And so these guys came across on children's bicycles. And I showed a photo of all these bi- bicycles that were, were stacked up in a, uh, near a church uh, in the area where they came across. Um, they came from a town on the other side of the border where I doubt there was 100 bicycles of that kind. Um, available. So there's at least strong circumstantial evidence that they were assisted in their crossing by some kind of Russian local or national authorities, in part to uh, create a bandwidth problem for the guys trying to, to guard the border. That happened last year. This year we've seen similar events in Finland and a couple of other places in the, the same area in the Baltic states. And I think we have to recognise that the manipulation of mass population movement is becoming part of the repertoire for some of our adversaries. Whether and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't single out the Russians. Actually, I think any state actor is going to be in a position to start manipulating that. But back to the Russian situation and even these others as well. It suggests that they have spent a lot of time thinking about how to uh, get around the the rules and the laws and the treaties. So it's not something that they decided yesterday or last week or last year to do it's something they probably have been working on for a while yeah there's there's an article that got a lot of play in the military world a couple of years ago by valerie gerasimov who's the russian chief of staff um and it's been described by some people as the gerasimov doctrine there's an active debate whether it's actually a real thing right whether he was just giving a speech to a technical audience or whether it's real but the People who believe that there's this idea of the Gerasimov doctrine also describe it as new generation warfare um, or non-linear warfare. And the idea is that what Gerasimov says in his, in his article is classical military means are no longer as important in warfare as traditionally non-military means. And he gives a series of examples, economic, legal, humanitarian, which I think is an interesting choice, um, environmental, and he talks about how um, you achieve manoeuvre across a much wider space than just military kinetic manoeuvre. And if you get blocked in your kinetic manoeuvre, you have other options to continue to achieve what you want to achieve. Um, or you can use the non-kinetic to shape kinetic. Now, actually, this is a common idea that goes back to Russian-Soviet thinking uh, 70 years ago. A guy called um, Mihal Tukhachevsky invented this stuff in the, in the 20s. It was purged by Stalin in 1937, so it didn't kind of go very far in Russian theory. But um, there's a lot of very advanced Russian theory on how to do this stuff. And I, as I said in the presentation, there's a similar theory known as unrestricted warfare, which was popularised by two Chinese officers about 15 years ago. And you can see some of that... It, we don't think it's official doctrine, but you can see some of that playing out in the way that the Chinese have operated uh, in their approach. And again, this is not necessarily to critique the Russians or the Chinese. It's just to point out that our definition of warfare is much narrower than theirs. Uh, and we run the risk of uh, what I call being conceptually enveloped, right? If we, if we have this very narrow definition, they have a broad one. Russia's engaging in some very interesting activities of late, including supporting the Taliban, in Afghanistan. Yes, they're in Afghanistan again. And they've also gotten involved in the elections process in Germany and France. We all know what happened here in the U.S. So what exactly 
are they up to? Not too long ago, we sat down with former CIA director Michael Hayden for some perspective on the U.S.-Russia relationship. What happened with the Russians? And all people who work on your side know, and some of us on our side have had a pretty good idea that this whole concept of being friends with the Russians, it, it, it left a lot lacking. But, 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 but why, why are the Russians a threat again? Yeah, well, number one, and this may have been a, this may have been a mistake, all right? Certainly while I was at the agency, we didn't, we didn't rush out the door to become friends with the Russians. I went to more than 50 countries as director, J.J. Not one of them was Russia. Now, yeah, that may have been, may have been a mistake, mm-hmm. right? But it does put the lie to Putin's claims that folks over at Langley are plotting the demise of the Russian Federation all hours of the day or night. We have a fault. Is that we didn't pay enough attention uh, to the Russians. Look, I've said on national TV that all this trouble Putin's causing, he's doing it with nothing more than a pair of sevens in his hands. All right? He's... He is. This is not a resurgent power, J.J. It's a revanchist power. But all the elements of national power, I mean, the real elements of national power, they're eroding in Russia. Mm-hmm. They're losing democracy, entrepreneurship, <laughs> less, less oil, less gas, and far fewer Russians. I mean, they, they are a dramatically declining population because of life expectancy. I think Putin recognizes that, and I think... I think he knows he's got a pair of sevens. He doesn't have picture cards, and he's not drawn any any high cards in in the near future. And so I think he's being aggressive in the near term because I think he knows the far term, the long term isn't is even worse for him. So you've got this this aggressiveness, Coke. We started on this program with a spat between a Russian intellectual and an American scholar in North Africa. It followed the American home because of Russian initiated trolling. So when we take into account David Pollack's story of how he was harassed long distance for something he said at a conference, and David Kilcullen's story about the broader migrant meddling operation the Russians have put together in several countries across the world, and Mike Hayden's view of Vladimir Putin causing a lot of trouble with just a pair of sevens, we seem to have proof the Cold War never really ended. And if it did, then a newer perhaps even colder one, is underway. Coming up in the next episode of Target USA. Tracking Terrorist, the European Union Satellite Center, an exclusive interview. In terms of uh, counter-terrorism, uh, we are uh, monitoring uh, some uh, uh, terrorist uh, activities, uh, uh, training camps, uh, uh, I would say, uh, migration uh, influx uh, flows and uh, also some uh, trafficking activities and such uh, uh, different activities. That's Pascal Lagay, head of the European Union Satellite Center in Madrid. The European Union is in the eye of the terrorist storm because a number of countries in the Union have been targeted and brutally in the last year or so. We'll hear on our next program how the Satellite Center is playing a key role in protecting the EU. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. 
So far in 2017, Forbes and Podcast One have already launched three highly acclaimed shows. The interview with Steve Bertoni features the business world's most interesting names, like Adam Carolla, Twitter founder Sean Rad, and Hollywood's own Jessica Alba. So I spent a lot of my childhood in hospital and hospital beds. Under 30 with Steve Goldblum talks to the movers and shakers, like Nation Builder CEO Jim Gilliam and NFL big game winner Martellus Bennett. Guys are afraid to be themselves because of their marketing deal. And the list with Art of Charms, Jordan Harbinger. We'll get behind-the-scenes insight and information that doesn't make the print cut. Next up, Sports Money with Michael Zanian talking to team owners, athletes, and industry leaders about the enterprise and money behind Supreme Athletic Competition. Forbes on Podcast One. Not just entertaining, informative. Subscribe now at iTunes and don't forget to rate, review, and share.